I want to ask you a question. How many of you this morning read warning labels? Show of hands. Some. Yep, not everybody. It's usually the part in any manual I skip over. So if you're asking yourself, yes, most of my mattresses and pillows still have their tags on them because I haven't read them to take them off and realize those law things that they say are meant for me and not for somebody else. But I say that because some warning labels and some things that you see in life seem so obvious, they're almost funny. I want to put a slide on the screen, talk about some of those items that you see there and some of the warning labels that are on them. For instance, that first one in the top left, the car sunshine, has a warning on it that says, caution, remove before driving. Really? Yeah. The Batman costume has a warning on it that says, Kate does not enable user to fly. It's good to tell your children before you buy them that costume. The baby stroller has a really important one. Caution, remove child before folding. That's a good one too, yeah. The box that is the girl there, that's a box of hair color. Dark chocolate color it is, but it has a warning on the box that says, Caution, do not use this ice cream topping. Yeah, really, I can see that one. And then finally, the Duraflame fireplace log has a label on it that says, Caution, risk of fire. Yeah, there you go. Well, like I said, some are obvious and almost funny. And I say that because Jesus gives us today, as we close our series at the feet of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, some obvious warnings, but they're not funny. They're warnings that are stern and warnings that we need to heed. And so I invite you to take either your Bible or your bulletin to turn to the text for today, the Gospel, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21, and we're going to look at this text today a little more in depth. Matthew 7, beginning at verse 21. And Jesus says to us, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now he has reinterpreted all that the people have heard before from the teachers of the law, from their rabbis, all that he has taught, all that he has said. And it boils down in these few verses as he summarizes it to one thing that is important for us to remember as we have heard all those words at the feet of Jesus. It's about who Jesus is. That he's not just another rabbi who is teaching, but he, in fact, is the one who sits on the throne of God, who is the eternal judge, who we will come before. And Jesus says, those who will enter the kingdom of heaven are those who do the will of my Father. Well, what then is the will of the Father would be the first question we might ask. It's to hear and to honor the Son of God. But what exactly does that mean, to hear and to honor Jesus? You see, what it boils down to is our confession of who Jesus is, who we say he is. That question that Jesus asked his disciples. You see, that's a dilemma still in our world. Who is Jesus? What are the views that we have of Jesus? Who do people say I am, both then and now? 
still today. We know that the views in our world of who Jesus is is that he was a prophet. A prophet just like Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad. Someone who taught some great philosophical things for us to think about. Or that he was, in fact, another one of those great teachers. A really good one, in fact, with all that he had to say. But if Jesus is just a prophet, if Jesus is just a teacher, then what he's saying is just another interpretation, just like the rabbis would teach. Remember what Peter's confession was when Jesus said to him, Who do men say that I am? Peter said that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, that's the confession of Peter. That's the rock of confession that the true church follows and confesses about Jesus. That Jesus is the Messiah. There will be no other Messiah. And that Jesus is the Son of God. The very thing that he said yes to when he was at his trial before the high priest. The very thing that they crucified him for. You see, it's only the confession of that Jesus the true Son of God, the true Messiah, the one who will be the judge eternal. It is only the confession of that Jesus that can offer to, as you think back to the beginning of the sermon, the poor in spirit, those who receive the kingdom of heaven, those who have nothing to offer God and have nothing in themselves. Jesus can offer to them His blessing, which is His presence with them, Himself alone. The true confession of who he is. Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. It's important that we see in that text those people who are addressing Jesus on the throne eternal. That they're claiming two things before him. First, they are claiming before him what they did. They say, did we not do these things? They are not giving any glory to Jesus for their actions. They are saying, we cast out demons and we prophesied in your name. And they are taking all the focus onto them. And the other thing that they are claiming is that they did it in Jesus' name. Again, Jesus' name, the confession of who he really is. You know, often Jesus said many times interchanging the phrase, I come in the name of my Father and I do my Father's will, but he would interchange it to say, in my name that we do these things and that we hear these words. And that phrase, in the name of, meant something to that audience and it should mean something to us. The name was a phrase for Yahweh, for that divine name that the Jews would never speak because it was so holy. In fact, they would write it simply with four letters rather than write out that name, rather than to invoke the presence of a holy God in their midst. That name. So when Jesus said, I come in the name of my Father and I speak to you in my name, they understood that he was claiming to be God eternal, that he was making himself equal to Yahweh. Well, they claim that they are doing these things for Him. And the problem is that they make the claim boldly, Lord, we did this in Your name, and they don't know who Jesus is. Because the only way that someone can claim to be part of Jesus is first to be connected to Him. And to be connected to Him, He 
must claim you, not you claim him. Where does he claim us? He claims us in the waters of our baptism, where he takes us into himself, where he forgives our sins, where he washes us clean, where we confess in the very creeds that we say who Jesus is, who we are being baptized into. Those who do not make the confession of the true church, Jesus has words for. I never knew you. You see, only the poor in spirit, only those who are empty, who come before Jesus with nothing, that he might claim them by his grace and his forgiveness, they are the ones who confess Jesus Christ, God and Lord. Jesus goes on in verse 24 then to give us an example that I'm sure many of us have heard most of our lives. The wise man who built his house upon a rock. The foolish man who built his house on the sand. He says this, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Now the audience that heard Jesus speak these words understood both of those examples very well. Understood that they were two ways that people built in those days, but two very different ways. One was a fairly easy way, and one was very hard. To build your house upon the rock in those days meant that you were up on a mountainside, meant that you had to grade the slope in order to make it level enough to build on. It meant hauling of materials to build that house, of water, of goods, of wood for fire, of food. Everything had to be brought up there. It meant that there was a colder temperature because of the winds that blew from the mountain. Most people would not choose that alternative. It was much too hard. There was an easier way. The easier way was to build on the sand, to build near a water source. It was convenient that way. It was warmer. There were no cold winds. They didn't have to haul the materials up the mountainside. Yes, there was danger of flooding, but it didn't occur that much until the storms came. You see, storms came maybe repeating every 50 years in a cycle. There would be the right combination of things that took place. A heavy snow that had happened in the winter on the mountains, a quick thaw in the spring, and then heavy torrential rains. And just like what we have seen in the news over these past few days, a wall of water would come rushing down and it would wipe out whole villages at a time. The destruction would be enormous and the loss of life with it. Building the right way made a big difference in the lives of those people, and Jesus gives that warning to us. You know, in 1992, there was another hurricane that struck the U.S., Hurricane Andrew, that hit Florida. It wiped out so many homes because of its sustained winds that it looked like a war zone. Yet after the hurricane in one area, all the homes wiped out around it, there stood one house that still remained. 
Reporters wanted to know, so they found the owner of that house to ask him why his house still stood. He simply answered, well, I built this house myself, and I built it exactly to Florida code, which stated if I would, it would withstand a hurricane. When it said, called for two by six roof trusses, I used two by six roof trusses. I didn't skim. When it called for a reinforced concrete foundation with metal ties to tie the walls and the roof together, I did exactly what that code called for. And obviously it withstood the hurricane. It was much harder, a more costly way to build, but it stood. There was a hard way and an easy way that Jesus puts before us in these examples of following him. A wide way and a narrow way. A professor once at Princeton University was walking through the cafeteria and saw a young woman study. He just happened to stop and ask her what she was reading. She said one of the books on theology because she was going to be a theology major. As they talked, he found out more about her life story. How she had been a buyer at Macy's in New York. She had an apartment on Fifth Avenue. She was engaged to be married. All of the plans of life were coming together for her. And then a friend talked to her about Jesus. The more she heard, the more she was convicted. She was baptized and became a believer. And she said, as I prayed in those few months before my wedding for direction in my life, that all the things and all my plans that were coming together, whether they were right, it was laid on my heart. She said, two weeks before I was to be married, I called my fiancé, called the wedding off, gave him back the ring. She said, my heart is convicted. I want to be a missionary, and so that's why I'm here studying first. Well, the professor looked at her. And he simply said, I want to know something. Does it hurt to give up so much in life? She said, yes, it does, very much. Why would you do it then, the professor asked. She simply looked at him and said, because not everyone in this world lives by the principle, if it feels good, do it. Some take the harder way versus the easy way. I want you to see visually on the next slide this example that Jesus gives to us of the two builders. I want you to see what the similarities are and what the differences are and what the result is. Both build, both hear the word and the storms come on both. One puts these things into practice and one does not and the results are quite different. One remains. One is destroyed. You see, part of that putting into practice has to do, first and foremost, with our confession of who Jesus is. We have heard many hard things as we've gone through this series this summer. Putting into practice is based on our faith and confession of the real Jesus Christ. Not just a prophet, not just a teacher but the true Son of God, the true Messiah, the rock-solid foundation, because it is bound to that foundation and that confession of Jesus Christ that He enables us in our faith to put into practice those things that He has taught us. 
Again, only the poor in spirit, only those who stand before God with nothing understand all that Jesus brings to them and who he truly is. J.A. Gibbs says this in a quote in the next slide. Only through the promise that the reign of heaven and its blessings belong now to those who have nothing and offer nothing to God can anyone know Jesus. So let me ask you this morning. Are you poor in spirit? Do you realize every single day that you live that you have nothing to offer to God? That the narrow way, the hard way that Jesus calls us to follow is the same one that he says for us to take up our cross daily. The cross means suffering and death, not an easy way, but a hard way. And it's not simply just suffering for our faith, it's suffering on account of our faith. You see, we are to suffer and to die every day, as Luther said, to self. To die to all the things that we see in our lives that we think we have accomplished, that we would love to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things for you? Rather than to say, Lord, I have done nothing for you. I bring nothing to you. You alone have done all things for me. See, we receive everything from our confession of who Jesus truly is. That he is the author and finisher of our faith. That he is the one who has done all things. And we stand in awe of the true Messiah, of the Son of God who has given us life and hope and salvation in His name. That is the true rock-solid foundation of the church that we confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one who has called us from darkness. He is the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who has won us with His precious blood. We are simply those who have received from Him again and again. And that is the very thing that by the power of His Spirit enables us to be built on that rock, enables us to put into practice as a response to His grace and to His love. We pray with Jesus, true Messiah, Son of the living God, thank You for Your grace and Your love. Thank You for claiming us as your people through the waters of our baptism. Thank you for washing away our sins. For Lord, we bring nothing to our relationship. We are only recipients of that grace and of that love. May we build always by your Spirit upon the rock of your word and your teachings. May we put into practice those things you have asked us in response to your love and your grace always that we may be light and salt in this world and bring glory to you in all things. All of this we ask in your name. Amen.